Today, uh, we are going to continue our series, Peace of Mind. We've been in that series for a while. Uh, we, we really believe that, um, that there's really been a mental health epidemic coming out of the pandemic in America, and we thought this is something we should talk about because the Bible talks about it, Jesus talks about it, and I believe Jesus has the greatest hope for us. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so do not be troubled or afraid. How many would go, I need peace of mind and heart in my soul? I think we live in a world that's looking for a quick fix. How do we make it better? Maybe a self-help group. But what we really need is the healing power of Jesus Christ in our life, in our relationships with you. And so we've come up with a bit of a working definition for this series on mental health because I know many of us have heard those terms, some positive, some negative. But we've said this, mental health is just the ability to cope with the stresses of life. Like, that's, that's what it is. How many go, like, I could cope better with the stress of my life a little better. You know, like, I could, I could use help, or I can look at times in my life where I've done great with the stress, and then there's been seasons of my life where I'm just like, God, I need your help. I don't have it. Do you know that that's just the human emotion in life? Today, we want to look at the topic of Jesus and burnout. Jesus and burnout. Burnout is literally this exhaustion that's brought on by prolonged um, and repeated stress. Burnout happens because of repetition. It's the things that come up over and over again that you're like, I'm really doing this again. We're having the same argument again, having the same problem at work again, same challenge. And here's what happens. When, when burnout starts, it starts with little symptoms where you're like, oh, that was hard. That was hard. And then it gets to be where things are never going to change. I'm stuck. I'm in the spot. And we want to talk today about how to get unstuck. There's different symptoms with burnout, right? Um, burnout can be because of chronic fatigue. And it can be chronic fatigue that, that you don't want, you didn't desire. Body's not working right, hard to sleep, going through struggles. And so it creates this fatigue, and the fatigue starts to show up in other areas of your life. It also can come up because I think sometimes we don't know what motivates us. We can feel under-challenged. So this week I was watching a very spiritual program. Um, it's the Kelsey show that was on Prime. And so Jason Kelsey, you know, he plays for the Eagles, right? And uh, a few years ago, he, he won the Super Bowl with the Eagle, Eagles, and he did a speech. Who saw it? Okay? He swears way too much in the speech. Just I, I want to be up front. It is not G-rated. But, but what was interesting is I was listening to him talk, and he says, I know what inspires me. And I was like, oh, what, what, what inspires him? And he has this whole talk about being an underdog. And it's this idea, and he, and he literally has this line, it's my favorite line, he says, underdogs run faster because they have to because they didn't have breakfast because they're hungry, you know? And, and his whole speech, really what, when you got down to it, it was this, he, he has to play with a chip on his shoulder. 
Yes, it, it motivates him. Like the feeling of you can't make it, you can't do it, you too small. That's the thing that motivates us. Some of us have a weird mindset like that where you're like, oh, you tell me you can't do it and I'm going to do it. That, that is my nature. You tell me I don't think this is going to work, you're like, I'm like, I'm in. In fact, every year I go on this golf tournament little thing with a group of my friends, and I'm not a great golfer, but I am clutch. I am. Like, I'm clutch. Like, like if you tell me you're going to miss this shot, and so it's so funny, Wes Davis, my buddy, he knows that about me. And so whenever I get up to putt, he's like, oh, Brandon, you're going to make this. You're so good. Right? Because he knows this. If I'm in a good mood and I'm happy, I'll miss the shot every time. Because I'm just like, I'm just so glad to be with you guys. But you start getting competitive and start saying, oh, you're going to miss this. I'm like, I'll show you. Boom. Drop it right in every time. And it's just that spirit inside. I just wonder this. What's the internal driver in your soul? Now, here's what I know. If you go, you know what, yeah, my life goal is to live with a chip, you're going to alienate some people. Like, that, that's probably not the driver that I need to live my life on unless it's the golf course, then it's perfect. I think something happens and we feel this kind of bottom drop out in our soul. And I want us to look at how do we have this internal driver that comes from Jesus that fuels us through any challenge, any roadblock, or any burnout in our life. So a couple things can create burnout. One thing is this, is um, it, can, it can be because you are pushing yourself beyond your limits, right? Like that's a big thing. I always say this, your no button is broken. Just saying yes to all the wrong things, so busy, not doing priority, right? The other thing is this, you can commit. You can commit to too many things beyond your limits. And then the last one is this, is you can face obstacles beyond your limits. The scripture says that God will give you, tempt, will not give you more temptation than you can handle. But how many know there are things in your life that happen that you're going, I can't handle this. This is too much. This is beyond me. There are moments. Do you think like that Job in the Bible who lost his family and his wealth and his house and everything was like going, hey, this is great. I can totally handle it. There are just moments in life where you're like, I was not prepared to handle these moments. So I want us to look at two kinds of way burnout happens, and I'm going to do it with two stories from the Bible, and then I'm going to give a conclusion from it. The first one is, what happens when we go beyond the limits of what God created us to do? It creates a kind of burnout. There's a story in the Bible, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Or, I'm sorry, there is a story called the Good Samaritan, but that is not the story I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> just want to be clear about that. Not the Good Samaritan, but the Samaritan woman. Totally different story. So I want to tell you the story about the Samaritan woman. Jesus finds a Samaritan woman at a well and begins to have a conversation with her. In the conversation, he actually confronts her, says, you don't have one husband, you have five. The walls of her well have been broken down. So what does Jesus offer her? Judgment? No, he offers her grace and living water. And I found it in the message this week, which I sometimes like to read because it just gives me a fresh take on stuff I've read over and over again. In John 4, 13, Jesus said this, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never 
will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Jesus offers this woman living water. And we've heard that living water. The living water he offers, he gives this illustration to her that she would have heard in her language, but when we read it in the NIV, we don't always hear it. He's, he's offering her an artesian spring. Now, I don't know how many of you dig well, wells on a regular basis. I don't. But there's two kinds of wells. There's one kind of well that you have to pump and you have to dig down to and you have to scoop up, and it, it takes a lot of work. And then there's another kind of well. This well is an artesian spring, and what those are is they're fed from an aquifer. Just a quick well lesson for you. It's an aquifer, and the pressure from the water underneath will surface through cracks, and it will be a spring that wells up regardless. And Jesus says that when you're connected to him, there is this spring of living water, this pressure that is welling up into your soul, which is huge. In fact, in Proverbs 4, um, there's a, a scripture that I love. I quote it to teenagers all day long, but we all need it. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows a wellspring of life. That verse is the same artesian well that Jesus says to this woman. He, he's literally saying, hey, there is a kind of pressure that comes from being connected to me that fuels you. So sometimes what happens is because we haven't set limits, because we haven't ordered our life and our priorities around Jesus and his mission, what happens is that water doesn't go away. It just spreads out everywhere. And what happens is when you begin to build healthy limits into your life, you rebuild the wall of the well. It's how you guard your heart. And the way we do that is we actually say, God, would you teach me to order my life around you and your principles? We say this, reorder your life around the mission of Jesus. When you begin to reorder your life around the mission of Jesus, what happens is brick by brick, you begin to rebuild the well. And then you don't have to manufacture purpose or energy, the well simply fills up because of the pressure that Christ has. I think so often burnout comes because we're just like trying to pump more energy, put more energy, try harder, do more, and it feels like the more energy you put out, the more I just get knocked back down. And we begin to feel like we're burning a candle at both ends. Do you know the Bible never calls us a candle? But Jesus does say that we are branches. And so I wonder if sometimes the way we think of burnout is I just have to say no to a bunch of things and then I'll feel better. And some of us, we've tried that. And it ne we never felt the pressure or the connection of the Spirit of God filling us up. Jesus called us branches. In John 15, 5, he said this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you remain, sometimes the word is abide that's used. When you remain in Christ, what happens is you are connected to that wellspring of living water. 
And so I just wonder today if we come in with a heavy soul, if there's a bit of disconnection that's in our heart. In our last series that we did, Find Our People, we said this, that the enemy's goal is to get you disconnected from God, get you disconnected from God's people, and ultimately get you disconnected from everyone. The enemy knows that if he can get you disconnected from God, immediately you're going to start to lose that power, that pressure of living water springing up in your life. And so I wonder if sometimes burnout isn't what we're doing that's too much, but maybe what we're not doing that fuels us. Christine Kane says this, usually you don't burn out because of what you do, but because of what you stop doing. Question, is there something that you've stopped doing? That you're going, I can remember seasons of my life where I felt so connected to Christ, but I've stopped doing that. What does it look like to reset our heart and life around him? In the message version in Matthew chapter 20, this is our second illustration I want to use. It's Jesus. And I, I mean, you can't say Jesus was burned out. You just can't. If I say that, someone will come up afterwards to me and go, Brandon, you taught that wrong. He's not burned out. He's the Messiah. He does everything perfect. Well, what I can say is in this passage, he's a little frustrated with something not going well, okay? And you go, I don't think you're right. Well, you know, read what he says. So in uh, Matthew chapter eleven twenty, and I read it, I, I honestly, I'm reading it in the message because it's just way funnier. Next, Jesus unleashes on cities where he had worked the hardest, but whose people had responded the least, shrugging their shoulders and going their own way. So most of what you see in the Gospels is Jesus preaching and people coming to him and lives being transformed. We forget that there's moments where Jesus went to different cities and preached and they didn't respond. It didn't go well. And so here we see in Matthew chapter eleven twenty Jesus preaching to these cities. And so he preaches. It doesn't go well. They shrug their shoulders. They go the other way. And so in the next paragraph, here's what Jesus does. He brings a curse to the people. Doom you people of Corazon. Like he's, he's like... He's saying, you will be worse off than Tyre and Sidon. You know, like he's, he starts like going off on these people preaching hard. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel like a very Jesus moment. And then there's this moment in verse 25 after he has this little outburst. You say, what, was Jesus mad? I don't know. He was feeling something, guys. And then in verse 25, it says, abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. It feels like this, like Jesus is, is preaching, people aren't responding, it's not going the way he thought, he starts to get a little frustrated, and he catches himself and abruptly goes to prayer. And then his prayer is a prayer that I have prayed before. Jesus broke into prayer, he says, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, You've concealed your ways from sophisticated, sophist, some, ah, let me try that again, from sophisticants and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. That prayer just cracks me up. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, we're just praying right now for all the idiots I work with. <laughs> God, they're the, they're the dumbest people on earth. You know you created them. 
right? And I'm just thankful for my friends at the church that are so great. And right, I mean, do we not have prayers like that? Like, oh, just me, just me. Jesus had one of those prayers. Just catch this. Jesus is the model of a human being on this earth. Are there moments where you do everything right and nothing works? Yeah. Are there moments where you're like, I said the right thing, I did the right thing, I still lost my job, I still got laid off. I tried to work on my marriage and do this. It still went horrible. It didn't go the way I thought. We have those moments. And Jesus shows us in those moments where it feels like it's not working, he goes back to the vine. He goes back to the vine. He literally prays. Now, I don't know that it's his best prayer. It's not the prayer that he told the disciples to pray. It's the prayer he prayed in that moment. And then in Matthew 20, 11, 27, it says, Jesus returned talking to the people, but now tenderly. Isn't that amazing? Jesus returned talking to the people, but now tenderly. Are there moments where we need to abruptly pray because we need to catch ourselves because we've lost our tone? We've lost our tone. Notice what Jesus prayers. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation. I love it. Did you know you're in a father-son or a father-daughter operation with the Holy Spirit? You're in this operation coming out of the father and son's intimacy and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I am not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. He catches himself. He goes back to the Father. He shows us when we start to get burnout, when we start to lose our temper, when we start to have that issue, we stop, we pray. His prayer was not his best prayer. It was like, God, help these know-it-alls. Sometimes we have to say that prayer to God so we don't say them to the people we love. God centers Jesus, and then Jesus begins to speak tenderly to the crowd, showing them what it looks like to work in tandem and in operation with the Holy Spirit. It's that tandem operation that Jesus clings to when he's feeling frustrated because things aren't going well. Whenever you start anything new, it goes slow. I have a phrase I say. I say, first it sleeps, then it creeps, then it leaps. Anytime you set out to do anything new, if you're like going, hey, I'm going to start going to church, I'm going to make a difference in my life, I'm going to get connected to people, you show up, you do it for three weeks, you're like, I don't know. It's like me. For me, this is how I do a diet, okay? I do a diet, first day, I eat everything perfect, I wake up in the morning, I check the scale, and I'm like, I bet I lost 10 pounds. No. Right? Because it, it, it sleeps. It sleeps. Remember, we relaunched the church out of the pandemic. 25 people came up. I'm like, I'm sure this summer they're all going to come back. No. It sleeped. Then it creeped. 
Now we're starting to feel this kind of leap. That's a three-year work. That's a three-year work. What in your life has Jesus said, I've called you to do this in this season, and you need to have just the right expectations for the moment of first this is going to sleep, then it's going to creep, then it's going to leap. All of Jesus' illustrations are agricultural. It's all about things you plant. When you plant something and you water it, you can't even see it. It's growing underneath the ground. It looks like it's sleeping, and then it springs up. There's moments in life where we face burnout because our expectations are, I'm going to do this one right thing, and then everything's going to be great. I'm going to have the perfect conversation with my spouse, and then they're going to understand me perfectly the rest of my life. No. First it sleeps, then it creeps, then it leaps. Jesus says, I'm willing to do this line by line by line. I heard this illustration from the GM of the Lakers. His name is Robert, I'm going to mess up his last name, Palinka. Any Lakers fans, you get it right? It says, he told Rick Warren, who's a pastor down in California, that he had just become the GM of the Lakers. And Rick Warren puts his hand on the guy's chest and his heart, and he said, now the enemy is going to come after this. Anything you set out to do great, do you think the enemy's like just going like, I'm just so happy that's all working out for you. And so he said, the owner said this, so when I wake up, I start my day in prayer. He says, I, I, I want to start my day in prayer. That same owner brought Denzel Washington into the Lakers. And the, the players, they literally asked him, like, how do you prepare for a film? And Denzel said, it starts right before I go to bed. The night before I go to bed, I put my shoes under my bed as far as I can. So when I wake up, I start every day on my knees. That's what Denzel says to these players. I think anybody who's dealing with burnout or struggle has to say, how do I start my day right with God? Because it feels like everything else is not going right. And so let's get the one thing right at the very beginning of the day that sets our heart. So at the end of Jesus's most frustrating talk to a group of people, he ends with the most beautiful words I've ever heard Jesus say. In verse 28, it says, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Like that's, that's the Jesus. We're like, oh, that's the Jesus that I know and love. The, the doom to Corazon, like that's tougher. This is what I want. Jesus, come to me. I just wrote down three things for us to take away if you're dealing with burnout on this verse. The first one is this, start by coming to Jesus. Start by coming to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me if you are weary or heavy, carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Isn't that what we need? I would guess every one of us, you can look at at least one moment this year and go, I am weary. I feel heavy. 
I have a burden today. It starts with a response, Jesus, I need to come to you. An awareness that we admit that. Two, do a yoke exchange. And I'll invite the band to come back up. Do a yoke exchange. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Now, if you haven't grown up in church, you're like, what the heck is a yoke? Are you talking about like an egg? You crack an egg and put it right on you? Like that'd be a weird spiritual practice, wouldn't it? A yoke is a farm term. It's where they take two oxen and they hook them together and there's this big wooden block that goes over both their necks and it's a yoke. That's what it's called. It's an actual yoke. And the picture is this, is that there is a task, there is a challenge, there is a burden, there is something heavy in our life. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that burden and I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to put that on. And the reason why his yoke is lighter is because he's with you. It's easier to plow the field with him. So he talks about what a heavy yoke can be. And the first one he says is religion. Religion is a heavy yoke. At New Life, we say this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Religion is when anyone adds anything to the teachings of Jesus. It starts to become a heavy yoke of burden and work. The easiest example is the story of, of uh, the Ten Commandments and the promise of Sabbath. Sabbath is that God wants you to have a day off. How great is that? You're like, yes, I, that's a God I can get behind. I want that. The religious leaders came in and said, well, in order to do Sabbath, you need to do these ten things. And suddenly Sabbath wasn't very fun anymore because it was a yoke. So we have to do a yoke exchange with religion and say, Jesus, help me to get just you in my every day. You can get the heavy yoke, and I wrote this down, of performance and perfectionism. That's a yoke I deal with. Performance and perfectionism. You can exchange that yoke for compassion and grace and love. Jesus, we put so much weight on trying to do the right thing, be the right thing, get it all right. And how many know, no matter how hard you try, it still struggles. The third one is this, is the heavy yoke of sin, guilt, and shame. We have to exchange it for forgiveness and freedom. Forgiveness breaks the yoke of sin, of guilt, of shame. Shame exists everywhere in our culture. How do we become the kind of people that when someone wrongs us or hurts us, we offer forgiveness in Jesus' name so that sin, that guilt, that shame doesn't stay with us? The heavy yoke exchange that we can do is, is God, I've been trying to do this on my own power. I've been trying to do it on my own power. God, and I need to wake up every day and do this with you. I need to have a yoke exchange with that. Of those four things, I'm just wondering if one of those stuck out. You go, I need to exchange perfectionism and performance for love and grace. I need to exchange religion for just Jesus. I need to exchange the heavy yoke of sin and guilt and shame for forgiveness and freedom. 
I need to exchange the do it on my own with the power of the Holy Spirit connected to me. Is there one this week that you would go, that's the one I need to do. That's the one I need to do. The third and final thought I have is this, is let Jesus show you the way. He says, I will find rest for your soul. Let Jesus show you the way.